0: Hi, I'm Monsignor Jim Lasanti. This week on Personally Speaking, my guest is Governor Scott Walker. He was the governor of Wisconsin, and now he's president of Young Americas Foundation. Uh, stay with us, please. Hello and welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And my guest is Governor Scott Walker. He's going to be joining me. In 2010, Governor Walker was elected the 45th governor of Wisconsin. In 2011, Governor Walker unveiled legislation known as Act 10 that effectively ended collective bargaining for public workers. In May of that year, the governor signed another bill requiring voter ID to vote. Almost a year later, in 2012, a petition was filed to recall Governor Walker from office. He became the only governor in American history to survive a recall election on June 5th, 2012, and he was then re-elected in 2014. In February of 2021, Governor Walker became president of the Young America's Foundation. The vision of the Young America Foundation is to show generations of young people how conservative ideals work. Governor Walker would like the Young America's Foundation to reach every college in the country, pushing back against political correctness and cancel culture initiatives on campuses right now. Governor Walker spoke about censorship from big tech and liberal professors and mass media and their efforts to cancel conservative thought at the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC, in February this year. The long game is what it's called. It's a new initiative just launched by Governor Walker and the Young America's Foundation with the goal bring America's founding principles back into education and culture. Governor Walker is married since 1993 to Tonette, and together they have two adult sons. He's here with us today to talk about his life, his family, the values, the faith that he wants other people exposed to as well. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome, to Personally Speaking, Governor Scott Walker. Governor Walker, thanks for coming on our program. Let me begin with something that has nothing to do with your new job. We'll come back to that. I'm always intrigued by people and their... Uh, the decisions in life for who they're going to share their life with. This wonderful woman you've been married to since the 1990s. Why did you pick her to be your partner for life? Huh. <laughs> I knew the night I met her.
1: Uh, my very first date was May, uh, May 1st, 1992. And uh, I knew that night that uh, God had told me this was who I was going to marry. It wow, took her a few wow. months longer, but uh, <laughs> eventually we, we met on May 1st, uh, engaged on August 20th, married on February 6th. So, how about that for a quick courtship?
0: Wow, you're not kidding. Some people I know uh, come to my church that dating 10 years. I'm like fall off the fence already. Now, Governor, but what was it about tonight that made you think uh, this is the one? Oh,
1: we you know the first night uh, we went on a date. We actually met a week before, but didn't talk. Uh, my friend and I uh, were out to dinner at a uh, barbecue place. My uh, now wife, but uh, then someone I didn't know, Tonette, was out with a a roommate of hers at the time. Uh, We both were watching karaoke after dinner and (laughs) just made a connection. And of all things, the guy I was with said, well, go talk to her. I said, I didn't come here to go on a a date. uh, uh, But so I left a a note on a napkin that said, um, you know, I've got to leave early to go get up early for work tomorrow, but wrote my name and my number. She said, you know, her generation never would have called a guy back, but she did Went <laughs> on a date that first night. We just knew uh, she was a widow at the time, um, uh, was a few years older than I am, but uh, just knew. And, and our firstborn, you know, we were married in 93. Our firstborn, Matthew, came in 94. We purposely picked the name Matthew because, of course, in Hebrew, uh, Matthew or Matan means a gift from Yahweh, a gift from God. That's and right. that was because right. she didn't know she'd have be married again, let alone have children. And so that's why uh, Matthew, our oh, firstborn, is yeah. our gift from God. And then we were blessed again the second year with our son, Alex.
0: I wanted to ask you, Governor, do you and your wife have any insight? Because uh, parents and grandparents watch a show like this, listen to a show like this. Any, any insights into it? Is there a right or wrong way to try to pass on the faith that you have and you treasure to these sons that you love? Sure, it's live it. Uh, the best thing. My dad was a minister, but my my uh, he used to say
1: uh, that uh, you know the best way to live your f- life was on Monday through Saturday. That it wasn't just being a Christian on Sunday. Uh, that you have to live it uh, all week long, all the time. And I think in many ways, even though my dad was a minister, my mother was just as much of an influence. Uh, on my faith as my father was, not because they preached it, but because they lived it. Uh, not only in how they treated each other, which mm-hmm. in of itself is incredibly important, particularly for your children as they someday think about getting married, uh, but also in how they treated other people. Uh, probably the most important thing I say, not only as a family, but with most of the problems we face in society today, boils down to one word, respect. If yeah, you respect yeah. people, I mean, it's exactly what the Bible tells us not only to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, but also mm-hmm. to love your neighbor as yourself. If we taught each other and lived by respect, all these other problems we deal with, I think, would be
0: largely non existent. We're here talking to Governor Walker. Governor, um, you know, back, I grew up in the time when uh, in high school and college uh, during the years of the Vietnam War. And I mentioned that to you because in my college, what they did was they had to. Uh, Uh, people from the American Legion to talk on behalf of the war, and we had people like Father Daniel Berrigan, the Jesuit peace activist, to talk against the war. My point is, as students, we had access to both points of view. I know one of the purposes of your new work will be to make the world balanced again, but what happened that campuses around the country have lost perspective about the importance of two points of view, not just one?
1: Well, it's really shifted. And you're right, and it. I, I think uh, for those who have a more liberal point of view, it goes all the way back to Saul Alinsky, starting in the '60s when all that was happening. You're talking about, but with a long-term plan. Those of us who are more conservative, I think part of the reason is you know, we have views, but we spend most of our time focused on our family and our jobs and building maybe a small business and very limited amounts of time involved with the government or with typical government entities. And so people have kind of just let that slip away over time. I was in college in the late 1980s, right -hmm. at the end of the Reagan administration. And you could already start to see a shift towards more of a liberal bias, particularly amongst the professors uh, on campuses. But I could still have, in fact, there's still some of those retired professors today I still talk to who ideologically weren't aligned, but we could have a good debate. We could have respect. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd still loved claiming me as their student, particularly once I was governor. Now <laughs> that's completely shifted. It, it's a flat out cancel culture. Yeah, uh, you know, in yeah. the 90s into the early 2000s, it went to being politically correct. Now it's just no voice. And uh, as we talk about in our long game plan, one of our our, our 12 points is, aggressively pushing free speech, which is guaranteed in our Constitution, Mm -hmm. but it should be, as you alluded to, revered on our college campuses, Uh, where we should be teaching young people to think critically, to to examine all sides of an issue. My kids are both conservatives, but I like the fact that they were challenged in in college in particular because they came out stronger, both in their political beliefs and in their faith-based beliefs as well, uh, because they were challenged, but they are also uh, because of the people they surrounded themselves with, many of whom were in things like College Republicans, Students for Life, and Young Americans for Freedom, YF. Those things kept them strong. Today, unfortunately, I think there are some people whose view is they want to marginalize and minimize and make people feel like they're all alone. If they have a conservative or even a Christian, for that matter, point of view, anything that involves Judeo-Christian ethics,
0: uh, they want to minimize them and, and make them feel isolated. Governor Walker, you are still a young, popular, well-loved by many people, so you could easily, I would imagine, decide to go for the Senate or be a governor again or go for national office, but you chose to take on this presidency. Tell us a little bit about Young America's Foundation and why you would feel it's that important for you to step aside from elected politics and take this other job.
1: Well, I'm a quarter century younger than Joe Biden, so I got a lot of time left <laughs> to make a difference. <laughs> and, and, and when I think about, but uh, I think about, you're right. I, you know, two years, four years, I could be running for governor, senate. I'm not. Uh, my commitment is now for the foreseeable future is here at mm-hmm. YAF because I, I just look at it and say, uh, the future of this country. It's it's not overstating things. The future of the heart and soul of this republic is dependent upon whether or not we can make an inroad again uh, with this Generation Z. With the the young people in college and high school and younger today, uh, we've seen the problems. In fact, Ronald Reagan predicted this 32 Mm. years ago at the end of his two terms in office, his final address from the Oval Office. He specifically talked about parents going into the 90s, not doing enough to reinstitutionalize patriotism, not being unabashed in their support for America and founding principles. And you can see that, that that very generation of parents he's talking about in the 80s and the 90s were the parents of millennials today, who not universally, but sadly far too many as an age group have have completely bought into socialism, have completely bought into the lie that America is not an exceptional country, that there's something wrong with our founding principles and documents. Uh, And so as I look ahead to the future, we're really training the next generation of freedom fighters, the people to stand up and challenge the status quo increasingly on our college campuses in many ways in our culture in general, at least for the influencers of culture, and and even of late, the last year in particular, um, challenging the status quo when it comes to the communications and the censorship from entities like big tech. YAF is here not just to do what we've done before, but to try and reach every campus and every student, and younger students, that gets the message out about how our message as conservatives is simple. It's universal. Mm -hmm. We love Mm -hmm. this country, and we appreciate the freedoms and opportunities that are uniquely available in these United States. And we want to make sure everyone, both those born here and those who legally come
0: here, have that opportunity as well. Governor Walker, one of my oldest friends is the retired Senator Al D'Amato, and uh, when he ran and lost, I asked him what he had done wrong, and he said, uh, I took on the teachers' unions, he said, which is uh, a death knell for anybody in politics. I mention that because you have taken on public unions in a very public way and, and uh, beat them at their game, but also you face the recall, you beat them at that game. I mention it because I just wonder sometimes if the common practice among politicians is don't mess with the unions, they're too powerful. Where does the courage come in you to say, but there's a cause here greater than an individual politician. I'm going to take them on because I need to. Well, it comes from my parents, probably as much as anything and other influences I had.
1: Hmm. Certainly uh, later in my youth even being influenced by President Reagan, not only as a mm. conservative, but as an optimist, having a belief in the American people, <laughs> eternal optimism. Certainly got that from my parents, my grandparents, many of my teachers, scout leaders, others. But we were mm. just taught, uh, and I think most of us are taught, you know, to, to be bold in standing up for what is right and what is just. And what we knew in Wisconsin when we came in, we faced an economic and a fiscal crisis we knew we had to make decisions that were more than just duct taping things. We knew we had to think more about the next generation than about the next election. And so we took swift, aggressive action early on. We didn't back down when they tried to intimidate us. Remember the Occupy movement did not start on Wall Street. It started on my street, <laughs> Madison, That's Wisconsin. Right. That's right. Where they brought in a hundred thousand protesters to occupy the Capitol, not for hours, but for literally for weeks. Yeah. And uh, we didn't back down. I say we, cause it, you know, the death threats were against me. They were against my family. One of them even said they were going to gut my wife like a deer. They knew where my kids went to school. They knew where my parents and in-laws lived. Uh, they targeted not only me, but my administration, our lawmakers. Uh, but in the end, we got together. We, we, we did the very thing I'm talking about in the long game with young people. And that is mm-hmm. the left, the, the radicals that target us want us to feel minimized. They want us to feel alone. We need to gather together. We need to let In this case, students know, and even uh, conservative educators, or even for that matter, objective ones, people who just want to teach in in junior high and high school and college, just the facts, know that, 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 that they're not alone, that there are others who share those beliefs, who share those concerns, let them know that that certainly helped us. In Wisconsin, when I went through what we went through. And uh, every time I'd go out, I'd bump into people who'd tell me, uh, we're standing with you, we're praying for you, you're doing the right thing, hang in there. We got to do that
0: across America. Governor Walker, you talked about the indoctrination young people go through in terms of the influence of media, uh, journalists, as well as Hollywood. And uh, you would think then that this brainwashing would have had a long term effect. But one of the things I see every year is at the March for Life in Washington, more and more young people, high school and college coming out to protest the unrestricted abortion rights or the use of taxpayer money for abortion or all the other incredible liberals that have liberalities have been taken. You have hope for young people that they haven't been completely brainwashed, don't you? Absolutely. And that's why I'm in the optimism that comes
1: from uh, from Reagan in particular. Uh, you look at two years ago when Ralph Northam in Virginia went on air on a D.C. radio station talking about a bill that one of the delegates there was bringing up that would literally, literally uh, I call it murder. It was, <laughs> it was allowing for the death of an unborn child after the birth had been actually occurred. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, the, the amazing thing about Northam, now he's governor. This guy's a doctor, a trained doctor. And he was talking about how the baby would be born, uh, the child would be set aside, and then the doctor and the family would determine what to do next. If you waited three hours and went home. Uh, in Virginia and any other state, that would be considered homicide. But yet they were talking about something that might actually be lawful in the Commonwealth of Virginia. What? Why that ties in your question is what we saw in the months that followed were a series of polls across America that showed the two biggest groups that moved more towards the pro-life position after mm-hmm. that, that talk and that story had, had been pushed out. There were, one, self-identified Democrat voters, because no matter whether you're a Democrat or not, that's just unbelievably uh, repulsive to think about something like that happening after a baby has even been born. But secondly, specifically young people, there was a dramatic shift Uh, For young people uh, against a position of of wide open legalized abortion even after birth uh, versus moving more towards a pro life position. And I think that's what happens when when the left gets so radical, when the opposing views are so radical, it has a chilling effect that breaks through the bias of the media, that breaks through some of the censorship we see of these ideas elsewhere. And, And that's where young people realized, I think in this case, that this really is a civil rights issue, it's the civil rights issue of our time. And uh, we as conservatives need to not back down. We need to be engaged in these fights and speak the truth, not be intimidated by the media or anybody else about using language that is clear as to what's at stake. In this case, it's an unborn uh, life or or even in the worst case scenario, it's not even unborn. It's it's the early stages of birth uh, that's being at risk. So I have hope not just in that issue, but on others like that, that when people when we burst through with the facts, uh, which is part of our long game approach, but the mm-hmm. facts
0: are on our side. Okay, Governor Scott Walker's, so I guess, Governor uh, surveys taken since Ronald Reagan was president indicate that in presidential elections, over 90% of major media admit that they voted for the Democratic candidate. When you've got that kind of bias, where overwhelmingly the media embraces the, the left, how in the world are you and Young America's Freedom uh, for Freedom going to get them to even listen fairly or to present, you've got the facts and your facts are true, How do we get the New York Times and other media people to say, this is the other side of the story? Well, we got to find other outlets because the Mm.
1: uh, NBC News anchor Lester Holt uh, just a week ago said in receiving an award, ironically, for journalism integrity, uh, (laughs) that he needed to point out that fairness is overrated. Uh, I mean, he said out loud what most of us have thought the media thought for decades. uh, And his argument was, as he was kind of backtracking on that, was, well, what he means is, you know, the, the, there's, there are facts out there. Like, And I think the analogy he used is that the, the sun sets in the West, and he was implying that conservatives don't always play with the facts. And I said, well, that's that's one of the most condescending viewpoints I've heard of this idea that suddenly a, a bunch of elites on the coast in the media get determined what's fact and what's not. This past mm-hmm. week's a prime example of that. Uh, Joe Biden put out a post on Twitter that said, Uh, that uh, every every, uh, eligible uh, or every adult eligible for a vaccine will get it by April 12th. Ironically, months before the election last fall, the Washington Post did a fact check on Donald Trump's statement that everyone would get their vaccine by April as false And now here we have it. And the facts show that nobody's questioning the statement by Joe Biden because it's true. And and Donald Trump was right in saying that we had similar things made by the vaccine even coming out by the end of the year. NBC News fact-checked it a month before the election said it's false. In December, they do a big story about uh, Pfizer getting approval for the vaccine before the end of the year. This is why so many people have so much distrust uh, for the media, what we saw mm-hmm. was sixty minutes flat-out lying about what Ron DeSantis said. What yeah. what the media overwhelmingly said about Governor Kemp and the lawmakers in Georgia flat-out lying about what the law is. Uh, in the state of Georgia versus other places. We have to find ways to get around that. And then again, in our long game, we're talking about new ways to use current technology as well as creating new digital technology to mm-hmm. get the message out to all different age groups, but particularly amongst young people. We can't rely on the New York Times or the traditional network media outlets because they're biased. They just flat out lie when it comes to conservatives. We can't We can't just sit back and complain about it. We got to find other ways to get that message out And we got to start sooner because that's where the left is at. That's where the media is at. Younger and younger ages, we've Mm -hmm. got to counteract that
0: by telling the story about why America's great. You know, uh, Governor, if I uh, go to my bank today, they're going to ask me for photo ID. If I try to get on a Delta flight, they'll want a photo ID. So I was intrigued to see that back in Wisconsin that one of the bills you were putting through was uh, for a photo ID before you can vote. Now, does that mean because you're asking for a photo ID that you're racist, Governor?
1: Well, the irony irony is so 10 years ago when I signed that law, they said exactly that. They said it would suppress the vote. It would target black voters. Uh, last fall, uh, the state of Wisconsin saw more than 75 percent of the eligible, eligible voters cast a ballot. The largest turnout in some 70 years. Mm. So all the hype and hysteria just didn't pan out. It was it was just the opposite. In fact, if you look at the polling, All across this country, but particularly in places like Georgia and Wisconsin, but anywhere in America, overwhelming Mm -hmm. support, not only amongst Republican and independent voters, but even the vast majority of Democrat voters support voter ID. And get this, a poll last week just showed nationwide 69% of black voters Mm -hmm. support laws that require voter identification. What is racist is implying that somehow because of someone's race, uh, they can't get access to a piece of identification, whether it's a driver's license or a state-issued ID card, that is the race-based statement out there. And instead of just pointing out the hypocrisy of the left on this issue, I think as conservatives, we got to point out just how wrong they are and not back away from any of these battles.
0: Yeah. You know, Governor, recently I was preaching in my parish and I mentioned that uh, uh, of the million abortions every year in our country, that uh, while the American African-American population is 12%, that the number of abortions performed, 39% are on African-American babies. And that if you promote abortion then in that community, isn't that a genocidal thing to do? And one of my African-American parishioners said, you know, you could get in trouble for saying that. It sounds racist. And I said, but it's just the facts. That's the fact. If you love your community, why would you want to abort the babies that are the future of that community? But even facts don't seem to matter so much anymore. Let me ask you, Governor, for the sake of those who are listening. Well, that's why we can't back down though. I I
1: just add on that's why we can't back down. In New York City last year, there were more abortions than live births amongst African-American babies. That in itself should send shivers down anyone's back. And it shows you people like Margaret Sanger and others were targeting uh, Black communities to push things that they did with Planned Parenthood. People should be outraged about that instead of defending it.
0: Yeah. and, And very frankly, it's embarrassing to a guy like me that, you know, we haven't had a Catholic president since John Kennedy. And this one is uh, in some ways outshining Barack Obama in terms of being the most militantly pro-abortion guy. I don't know, quite frankly, how he he manages to live with himself, uh, thinking that he's a good Catholic. You can't be a good Catholic and not remember the Jesus who said, woe to him who hurts the little ones. Better a millstone should be tied around his neck. So I I wish uh, the president would give that some rethought. For the people watching, listening to a show like this, Governor, who may not even be familiar about this Young America's Foundation, how do they get more information on you and what you're doing and the whole movement.
1: Yeah, we train the next generation of America's freedom fighters. It's real simple. Our website is yaf.org. In fact, if you want a free copy, we'll mail out to you today of our long game plan. Go to yaf.org slash long game. We'll get you a copy. We'll tell what we're doing. And more importantly, what we plan on doing, we're on over half of all the campuses in America today, but we want to be on all 4,000. We want to reach a million more students, but we know more than just campuses and colleges and universities, we got to be in high school and junior high. And yes, in many cases, as early as elementary school, we got to be Mm -hmm. supporting parents to counter all the radical indoctrination uh, that many on the left are trying to get them and to counter the lies about things like we were just talking about, uh, the Mm -hmm. fundamental right to life, preserving the sanctity of life. That's just
0: one of the many issues that we're engaged with with our students. Governor, you mentioned before the Judeo-Christian tradition. Many of the parents in my parish, grandparents too, will say, I'm, I'm worried because while my kids went off to college kind of believing, they're coming back with their beliefs all shaken, they're being told that their, their faith is a myth, uh, that, that they've lost their way, they're losing their religion. Do you have any ideas on what parents can and should do to make sure that going to college doesn't mean surrendering the faith? Well, in addition to
1: support that parents and grandparents can give as a family, one of the best pieces of advice, not only for YAF but for in general, uh, my kids, just as I was when I went to college, you know, beyond groups like YF and College Republicans, I, I was actively involved in Students for Life. Students for mm-hmm. Life chapters are some of our biggest partners on campuses all across America. Uh, my my big advice to parents and grandparents and other family members is. Encourage your sons and daughters, encourage your nieces and nephews, encourage your grandkids to be involved and engage with other like-minded groups uh, to find a way to be connected, not just from a political standpoint, Mm -hmm. but find Mm -hmm. folks who practice and celebrate their faith. Uh, find a way to not have that be a disconnect for three or four years of their life and then suddenly expect they're going to go back to those faith traditions after graduating. You've got to continue that. You've got to be supported. It's like everything else in life. Yeah. You talked about the Bible before. You know, Christ called us, you know, certainly we can be believers anywhere. And those who were in, uh, Prisoner war camps know that a big part of what kept them sane and kept them alive was remembering the scriptures they learned as young children along the way. But but more than anything, the Bible repeatedly tells us, uh, you know, where one or more gathered, the idea of coming together, sharing that fellowship, certainly that's important to faith, and it's important to those founding principles that include the protection of free
0: expression of our religious beliefs. I want to thank Governor Scott for being with us. Scott, Governor Walker is a man of great courage, a man of tenacity who believes what he believes, doesn't compromise. And I just love guys who go into politics who say, this is who I am. This is what I believe. Take me. And, uh, you know, you're me, Governor, years ago, uh, Congressman Peter King, I was with in a synagogue. And he said, you know, yeah. you and know- You and I agree, he said, on most of everything. He said, but I'm pro-life and I'm not changing. And if that's a problem for you, then you might as well skip my talk now and go home. But if you're willing to listen to a guy who has a different perspective and is going to hold fast to the things he values, then we can talk. And that's the kind of person you are. You know who you are. You, you believe firmly. You're willing to dialogue. And, and boy, do we need more of that on campus and around the country and in the media. Keep on keeping on. And you said before that people were praying for uh, Vice President Pence. And I think they're praying for you, Governor Walker, too, because you've got a great job to do. And I'm so glad you're stepping into this leadership role. For our listeners and watchers, one more time, YAF, how do they find out more?
1: yaforg slash long game. We'll send you absolutely free a copy. We'll mail it right to your home today. We'd love to have you join us in this, not just this battle, but really this war for the heart and soul of our republic. We can get it done and we must get it done. So please join us.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Governor Walker. Thank you so much. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. I ask you to write to me if you want to at personally speaking podcast at gmail.com. To listen to our Personally Speaking podcast with some of our most recent shows, please go onto YouTube and search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jimalsanti, and don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. You can also listen to past episodes by going on www.closeencountertv.com and clicking on the radio button at the top of the page. Additionally, Personally Speaking, episodes are on my parish website, which is www.ollmp.org, on the homepage. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Gimisanti. Thanks so much for being with us. We look forward to being with you again on Personally Speaking. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer of Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandavitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.